Today's scripture reading comes from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. But his wounds, by his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. This is the word of the Lord. Hey, y'all, it's good to be with you. Um, we've got a treat for you today. Um, me and John Ransom together are friends are here, the Zarinas. They're also, you've probably seen their pictures uh, up whenever we've prayed for them as mission partners. They're here today, and we're going to ask both of them to come up later. Um, you'll get to meet Shisel. Um, we'll pray for them then. But I just want to introduce Joey to you now um, as he comes and, and preaches to us today. Before he comes up, I just want to uh, just say that just through personally knowing Joey and Shisel, um, and they planted in 2017 in Tokyo, by the way. So they pastor a church in, in Tokyo. Just knowing them personally, I know who you're pre- who's preaching to you today. And, um, and he's going to be preaching about the wounded healer from this passage here. And um, I've known uh, Joey and Shisel as wounded healers. Um, Tokyo uh, is a tough place to plant churches, and you're going to get wounded, sometimes multiple layers, sometimes from different directions. And I've seen Joey and Shisel do that work, <clears throat> be wounded, um, and suffer. And just like Jesus, whenever he was wounded for us, and out of his wounds and out of his suffering flowed grace and healing for us, because of Jesus. Joey and Shisel have been able to faithfully walk this out and whenever they were wounded, did not return vengeance and anger and bitterness, but instead I've seen love, I've seen grace, I've seen patience flow out of them through very trying things. So I'm going to have Joey come on up and I'm going to pray for him as he prepares to preach to us. Thanks for coming, Joey. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for Joey. Thank you for Shisel. Thank you for um, calling them here with us today. That we could enjoy them. That that we would be the ones who are gifted with their presence today. That um, on this day, we get to benefit from your vessels filled with your spirit 
um, for, uh, for, for today, for, for us to hear the word. Um, we pray that, Lord, you'd give us spiritual ears and eyes that we would hear and truly hear and truly see that we'd be obeyers, that we'd be doers of the word. Uh, so, Lord, we, before we can do it, we've got to perceive it and it's got to be applied to our hearts. We need your spirit. Please quicken us today to, to, to receive it in our hearts and our minds uh, that we may do it. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, Pillar Church of Okinawa. And thank you, John. And um, thank you so much for your partnership in the gospel. This church has been a partner since 2017. Uh, we were down here in the old building. Um, just want to thank John Ransom and Linnea, if you're watching, John. Uh, we love you. We respect your pastor very much. Uh, they are good friends of ours. We met them in Tennessee in 2017 uh, and became friends, good friends. And uh, John and Melissa as well. And, of course, get to meet Grant and uh, all the faithful work that is going on here. Thank you again for your partnership in the gospel, a strategic partnership uh, for us in Tokyo. So without further ado, let's uh, go to the Word of God. And so before we do that, would you pray with me again? <clears throat> Silent as he stood accused, beaten, mocked, and scorned, yet he did not retaliate. We thank you that we have such a great Savior. Uh, we are great sinners, but you are a great Savior. What a wonderful, powerful, loving Savior that we have. And so, Father, would you now hide me again, and would you show Christ to your people? I pray that we will go out of this place having more uh, of Jesus Christ and having known more of him and what he has done for us and what that implies for our lives. So come, Holy Spirit, we pray. Take our eyes off of everything else, and may we see Jesus who is seated on his throne. In his name we pray. Amen. So 1 Peter 2, 18 to 25, uh, the wounded healer. Um, here Peter is writing to Christian exiles uh, across Asia Minor, which is in modern-day Turkey. Uh, this was, again, before Emperor Nero began persecuting Christians in Rome around A.D. 62 to 63, somewhere there. But even at this time, the Christians were already facing a lot of trials. We see that in chapter 1 where Peter says that they have been going to various trials. Um, they were tested in their faith. And so as we turn to our text today, uh, here is a question for us uh, to consider. What should motivate Christians to submit to their earthly masters, that is, that is your boss or whoever that God has placed above you? What should motivate Christians to submit to their earthly masters, especially to the unjust ones? And so to answer that question, here are three insights we are going to see together. Number one, the grace of submission uh, to those above us. Number two, the example of Christ we are called to follow. And number three, the wounded shepherd who came to heal us. So the grace of submission to those above us, the example of Christ we are called to follow, the wounded shepherd who came to heal us. And so, number one, the grace of submission 
to those above us, beginning with verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and you suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Now, Peter had talked about submission to the government in verse 13. And submission in the home in chapter 3, 1 and 7. And here he's, again later in chapter 5, verse 5, he talks about submission to church elders. And here, now he talks about submission to our earthly masters in chapter 2, verse 18. He says, be subject to those above you. Again, remember that all across the five provinces of Asia Minor, uh, Christians were working under oppressive, the oppressive Roman regime. Uh, many Christians were working as household servants at that time. And so it was to this most vulnerable, persecuted, and discriminated, discriminated group that Peter says, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. But here's a question for us, right? As we come to this text, why do modern people find submission so hard? Perhaps those of you in the military would understand submission than the rest of us do. But why is it that modern people find submission so difficult? Uh, modern people tend to think that this idea of submission stands in the way of our personal freedom. They find this idea of submission even oppressive. And so this problem, again, as we see, we're going to see, is not so modern. It is a very ancient problem, right? Uh, since Adam and Eve rejected God's authority, we all want to be our own masters, not servants. That is the default mode of the human heart. Notice that word subject. This is a Greek military term. Uh, in a non-military use, it also means uh, a voluntary attitude of giving in. So Peter says to Christians, submit to your unjust masters, not only to the good and the gentle. Verse 19, for this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. How many of you know that it is not difficult to submit to a gentle and good boss? Uh, a good and gentle boss is pleasant to work with. But how about the harsh and unjust boss? This is what Peter is addressing. So I've, uh, I'm from Northeast India. Uh, I've been in Japan for the last 17 years. And in Japan, we've noticed that many people experience bullying and power harassment in the workplace. Uh, as long as we are in this fallen world, there will be unjust masters who are going to idolize position, power, and prestige. Uh, the world, as we know it, is full of sinners, and we are going to get hurt. We are going to get offended, and we are going to be wounded even. So all of us here will not be able to avoid relational discomfort. All the slights, all the insults, we're not going to avoid rejection. We, we cannot avoid unfair treatments. 
sometimes being misunderstood or every demeaning and unkind word, especially about your Christian faith. This is a hostile world. And how many of you know it's easier to respond to hurt with hurt? To repay insults with insults. But Peter shows a better way. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, he says, notice, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. Brothers and sisters, is this the default posture of our hearts? Right? This is hard, isn't it? Because uh, there is a built-in mechanism in our hearts, a default mode that says it is unfair. When we see things that are unjust, we scream. We want to scream and say it is unfair. Enduring sorrows while suffering unjustly is hard because the pain reminds us of the injustice done to us. But Peter is not saying this. He's not saying God is pleased with the unjust suffering or the injustice itself. He's saying that your response, your attitude of yielding, your attitude of submission, when mindful of God, is commendable in God's sight, he says. Notice carefully how he says, when mindful of God, right? He's not saying, when you're preoccupied with yourself. <laughs> He's saying, mindful of God, not mindful of self. Peter is saying, there is an invisible master above all our earthly masters. In other words, Christians have this kind of freedom that the world around us does not have. Uh, Christians have the freedom to respond to unjust masters in a God-pleasing, God-honoring way. That is Peter's point, being mindful of God. And he goes on in verse 20, For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? If Christians had suffered because it was their fault at that time, that had absolutely no benefit to them. What credit is it if you endure punishment for your sin, he says? Because that would have discredited their Christian testimony. See, Peter sounds like Jesus in Luke chapter 3, verse 6, 32. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them, says Jesus. So Peter says, but if when you do good and you suffer for it and you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. In other words, if you're serving God with a good attitude, even when there's no promotion coming because of some kind of favoritism going on, or because somebody has found out that you're a Christian and they don't like what you believe, he says, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. It is a commendable thing in God's sight. God's grace changes the way you serve, not only who are gentle, but even your unjust masters. When mindful of God, if you endure suffering, you show that your submission is voluntary, that you show that your motivation for your submission is not motivated by your paycheck or even the promotion or the earthly rewards that are fleeting and can be ripped away from you tomorrow. Or you're not motivated by human approval, he's saying. No, your mind is on God. That humble submission comes from Christ who submitted perfectly. And so next we see the example of Christ we are called to follow. Verse 21, for to this you have been called Pillar Church of Okinawa, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. 
When he was reviled, he did not revile. To revile means to insult strongly. That's hard. When he suffered, he did not threaten. He did not point his fingers and threaten them, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Now, do you remember what Peter said to Jesus in Matthew 16, verse 22? When Jesus was going to the cross and he said to Peter that he's going to suffer, what did Peter say? Peter takes Jesus, uh, sorry, Peter, G, Peter takes Jesus aside, right? And he says this to him, Lord, this shall never happen to you. He says, no, you're not going to the cross. This shall never happen to you. And then Jesus turns around to Peter. And then what did he say? Satan, get behind me. And then he uses the same word. You are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. See, many Christians tell me, Pastor, I want to know what is God's call on my life. But when suffering comes, it's tempting to think it must not be God's will, that it must not be God's call. See, under harsh masters and difficult trials in that Roman-occupied territory, it was not easy for the, gen for, the, for the Jewish and Gentile believers, new Christians, right? They didn't even have some of the most basic rights and privileges that we modern people have today. But Peter says to this vulnerable group, for to this you have been called. Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. Look at Christ. Will you go all the way, follow Christ? Leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. So my question to you this morning, which Christ am I following? Am I following my idealized version of Jesus Christ that is portrayed by the culture or something that I grew up with? Or is it the Christ of the scriptures? Because Peter says in verse 22, Jesus committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. This is from Isaiah 53 verse 9 where he says, There was no deceit found in his mouth. Jesus is sinless. When he was put on trial, Jesus was falsely accused, yet he opened not his mouth there in verse 7. Like a lamb led to a slaughter, Jesus remained silent, silent as he stood accused, beaten, mocked, and scorned as we sing, oh, the rugged cross, right? Yet he opened not his mouth. Jesus committed no sin. He didn't have a millisecond of a bad thought or a bad attitude. There's no lust in him. There is no idols of power in him. He doesn't worship idols. Jesus is God, sinless Savior, right? There was no deceit found in his mouth. So how do we respond? to unfair treatments, right? Jesus never sinned with his mouth. So how do we respond? The, the call to follow Christ is difficult humanly, isn't it? Jesus never sinned with his mouth. All of us here, okay, all of us here come from countries, my country as well, come from countries where the freedom of expression is highly valued, and we must. But sometimes that is idolized. It's very hard to keep silent when it's unfair. The first default mode is to say that's unjust and scream injustice. And there is a place and time for that. But Peter says, Jesus left you an example so that you might follow him, that you might follow him all the way. Right? That word example appears only here in the New Testament. Uh, it refers to a pattern to be traced or a drawing that a student reproduces. 
uh, my wife here, Giselle, worked at the kindergarten for uh, 12 years in Japan. And, you know, uh, sometimes we would he she would come home and tell me conversations that happen in the kindergarten class. And some of her kids would say uh, surprising things that uh, only grown-ups would say. <laughs> Do you know where they, they came from? Do you know where they got it from? This is humbling, parents. Children follow the example of parents in the kitchen, in the dining table, in the living room, in the ordinary everyday stuff of life. Of course, they learned it from their friends as well. But see, my point is everyone is following something. Everyone is following somebody all the time. And so who are your heroes today? Who are your heroes that you would hold in high esteem on social media or in real life, right? We are shaped by the people we follow. Remember, apart from Gentile masters, uh, the example of leadership that the exiles had were abusive early masters, as Peter says here. And of course, the Roman leadership was all about conquer and control. It was domineering and overbearing, which Peter contrasted in chapter 5 to Christian leaders. But Peter says earlier in verse 9 that you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people called for his possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He says Jesus called you. He called you to himself, and Jesus has left you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He says in verse 22, this is how Jesus went. Before the cross. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. Though he had all authority and all power to do so, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Jesus was mindful of his father as he faced injustice before him. As he stood accused, his mind was on his father who judges justly. Remember that the exiles here were suffering a lot of verbal abuse. We see it in chapter 2, 15, chapter 4, verse 14. And when they were insulted for the sake of Christ, the temptation to speak back and retaliate was overwhelming. This is why later in chapter 3, verse 9, Peter goes on to say, Do not repay evil for evil, for reviling or for reviling. But on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called. Same language. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. In other words, the way to overcome evil, overcome slander and insults is to bless that you may obtain a blessing. He says, Jesus overcame the chain of evil with good. And in some cases, we see it in the Gospels how Jesus did not reply to the Pharisees, the religious snipers. Because they were trying to use everything that he said against him. Today, in our context, modern people see silence as a sign of defeat, admission of guilt, or a sign of weakness. But see, Jesus' silence was not a sign of fear. It was not a sign of resentment. It was not a sign of weakness. It was not a sign of cowardice. But Jesus' silence was a sign of great spiritual strength, Humility, gentleness, and courage, and compassion, and faith, and patient endurance in the face of injustice. It takes great spiritual strength to do that. Verse 22, when he suffered, he did not threaten. 
but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Jesus could have called a legion of angels and crushed his enemies with one word. <laughs> he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to his Father. This is what mindful of God means, right? When Jesus was beaten for the sins of others, his eyes were on his righteous Father who judges justly. Jesus is not just an, an example who, who is to be followed. He's sinless. He's a savior. He came to endure the greatest injustice on the cross for us all. So finally we see the wounded shepherd who came to heal us. The wounded shepherd who came to heal us. Pardon me. Verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Verse 25, for you, you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Peter says in verse 24, he himself bore our sins. This too is from Isaiah 53, 12, where he says, yet he bore the sin of many. Peter says, Jesus bore our sins in his body on the tree. Can you imagine how heavy that is? Remember, Peter and his Jewish readers had seen the offerings of lambs, bulls, and goats on the altars of sacrifice. Sin was a burden placed upon a sacrificial animal before it was killed. The sacrificial animal had to die in place of the sinner because the penalty for sin was death. That's what you and I deserved, right? So when Peter sees the suffering servant in Isaiah as the one who bore the weight of our sins, this was deeply personal for a Jewish person, Peter. See, Jesus is our sin-bearing Savior. Jesus has done the heavy lifting for us all. You will no longer have to be crushed by sin in the very end. For Jesus has done the heavy lifting. He says, he himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. The entire creation is groaning because of sin and the curse, that, the curse of sin. We see confusion, brokenness, pain, suffering, chaos all over the world. Romans 8 tells us that the entire creation is groaning because of sin. Sin makes this Suffering heavy. Sin makes everything heavy, right? But see, Jesus is our sin-bearing Savior. Adam ate of the tree and brought curse. But Jesus bore the weight of our sin on the tree in his body. Incredible. He took the curse of the sin, right? Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. But Jesus took the curse that was coming upon us. Jesus came to lift the heaviest burdens, the greatest burden, the burden of sin that's killing us. So how many of you know that when you sin, you carry a heavy guilt in your conscience and in your heart? No one need to come and tell you that you have sinned. Even the shame can be unbearable. No matter what you do, that internal sense of guilt and shame just won't go away. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit, if you're a believer, bears witness with your conscience and you, got, you just can't seem to shake it away. It won't go away. No matter how much you wash and shower on the outside, that conscience, that guilt that, 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 that is convicting you, that is accusing you or excusing you, will not go away because the Holy Spirit is bearing witness to the truth. 
But Jesus carried the weight of your sins that were crushing us and wounding us. And there is a divine design here, as Peter says, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, not to self-righteousness, because we don't have a righteousness before Christ. This righteousness, living to righteousness, is we live to true righteousness. The righteousness of Christ that was imputed, meaning given to us by Jesus. This is a perfect righteousness that cannot be earned but given, right? It cannot be earned but only received. So your righteousness, if you're a believer, is a passive righteousness. Jesus purchased that for you. Your sin was put on him. His righteousness is now put on you. The father looks at you and he sees what? He sees the righteousness of his son. So that you might die to sin, right? The gospel is this. As great as it is, Jesus died for my sin. That's substitution. That's great. But there's something else that Peter wants us to see. In the death of Christ, we sin-loving, self-seeking Joey comfort-loving people died to sin. Sin has lost its power. Sin will no longer have dominion over you, as Paul likes to say. It means this. When I died with Christ, I no longer need to connect every experience, even every hurt and conversation back to myself, that a whole world doesn't need to function around me, that I have died. This is the way to live in freedom, Peter says, that we might die to sin. Christ did not die on the cross so that I can continue to love the sin that he died for. If you're a believer, you hate the sin that Christ died for. Sure, you struggle, but you now hate it because the Holy Spirit is in you that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. You now start to love righteousness. Christ has done the heavy lifting. He bore the weight of our sins so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And Peter says, by his wounds, you are healed. This is from Isaiah again, 53 verse 5, where he says, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The punishment that was coming upon us was put on him. And by his stripes, we are healed. Can you imagine the household servants, the early Christians, often mistreated, verbally abused in their workplaces by unjust masters? They could show you the scars they carry from their past wounds. They could tell you of the ways in which they have suffered unjustly at the hands of both the Jews and the Gentiles, the Roman leaders. Every verbal abuse inflicted would tear old old wounds open again. Imagine every time they were treated unjustly, the wounds that had just begun to heal would tear open again. It would never get fully healed. And if I may go quickly to 2 Corinthians 11, where Paul himself says that he was beaten by the Jews. Every time he was beaten 40 minus 1, what happens? 40 minus 1, that's a lot of times. Every time he was whipped, the wounds would just tear open again. And this is no different when it comes to our souls, when it comes to our emotions, when it comes to who we are, when it comes to our minds, right? Every verbal abuse that was inflicted upon them would just tear open old wounds again. It would remind them of the pain again and again. But Peter says this. By his wounds, you have been healed. Jesus was severely wounded, not only from the Roman flogging, which was hard. Jesus was wounded emotionally. Jesus was wounded mentally. 
Jesus was wounded physically and on the cross, ultimately spiritually, as he said, Father, Father, why hast thou forsaken me? No one understands the pain of abandonment and loneliness as Jesus does. No one understands the pain of suffering injustice as Jesus does, right? There he hung on that cross and suffered the absolute abandonment. No one understands the dark night of the soul more than Jesus Christ. In the, ag in the Gethsemane agony, we see, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. No one understands that dark night of the soul, depression like Jesus does. He was wounded for our sins, pillar church. No one understands what it means to be abandoned and left alone by his closest friends and disciples. They all left him and fled when he needed them the most. No one understands what it means to be without friends. Jesus does. He was wounded in our place. Jesus is our wounded healer. Today, are you carrying old wounds of the past? Are you carrying around traumas? Are you carrying wounds of abuse? Are you carrying wounds from rejection? Wounds from betrayal? Wounds from abandonment? Wounds from insults? Wounds from being misunderstood? Wounds from mistreatment? Do those wounds keep opening up again? Bring them to Christ. Bring them here to Christ. He was wounded for you. Pillar Church. Christ was wounded for your healing. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And by his wounds, we have been healed. Jesus is the greatest physician who does not patch up old wounds, but he heals them. Your healing has been purchased. Revelations 22 2 says that the tree of life that we see there is for the healing of the nations. This was a holistic healing. He himself bore our sins on the tree. Adam ate of the fruit, brought curse. Jesus went to the tree to bear our sins, and by his wounds we have been healed. Revelation 22, the tree of life there is for the healing of the nations, for those who will be in him. In the new heavens and the new earth, all our unhealed wounds and broken bodies will finally be healed fully. We will no longer have pain. A new resurrected body with Jesus Christ. By his wounds we are healed. See, how many of you know that when you are sinned against, the wounds on your soul weighs heavy. When you are sinned against, the wounds on your soul just weighs heavy. No one knows it except you if you have been there. You cannot carry those unhealed wounds in your soul, much less carry other people's wounds. Because how could you possibly carry someone else's wounds when you're wounded yourself? But Jesus did the heavy lifting. By his wounds we have been healed. He bore the weight of sins that was crushing us and that will cut us off forever from the Father. By his wounds on the tree we were healed. He was wounded for your healing. There is no wound that is too deep that Jesus does not understand. You say, Pastor Joey, no one understands. No, Jesus does. There is no darkness too deep where he has not been. He has traveled that path and have come out under it with resurrection power. There is no one just suffering he has not suffered. No one understands you more than Jesus does. So come. Come to your sin-bearing wounded healer today. Peter says in verse 25, I'll close with this. For you, Pillar Church, were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd 
and overseer of their souls. Peter says, for you were straying, past tense, but now, present tense, here and today, you have returned to the shepherd and overseers of your souls. Your shepherd watches over, over you. Jesus is the great shepherd of this church. Whether you're a believer or not, return to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. He is calling you. Return today. Return to your shepherd. He will forgive you. He will cleanse you. He will renew you, rejuvenate you, ignite that passion that you have lost, the, the love that you have lost for him, and enable you to endure sufferings for his sake that is to come. He is your good and gentle shepherd, unlike the unjust masters. See, the path to a future glory with Jesus Christ is to embrace suffering when it comes. Sure, we don't run for it, but when it comes, we embrace it. And suffering will lead to glorification when Jesus returns. When you entrust yourself to him who judges justly, One day, Jesus will end all unjust sufferings. Jesus will see to it that no injustice gets unpunished. He will see to it. Be very sure of it. Count on it. Our shepherd king is on his throne. He cannot be voted out. Of his kingdom, there will be no end. He judges justly. It will be fair judgment, righteous judgment. Count on it, Pillar Church of Okinawa. He is for you, Pillar Church. So would you stand as we close in prayer? There is no one who understands the pain of loneliness, the pain of abandonment, and the wounds that we carry or will carry in the future, and the suffering that we will have to embrace like you, Lord Jesus. You are a great shepherd. We praise you, Lord Jesus. We pray that you would equip us, that your spirit would speak to us even as we go out from here, that these things that we have talked about today will be inscribed or written very clearly in our minds. May your Holy Spirit bring all things to our remembrance so that we can know you more, treasure you more, and walk the path that you have walked. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.